Well, good morning. So good to be with you guys today. Uh, I know that over the last several weeks that you guys have been working your way through as a community of believers here at Von Forest Church uh, through a message series called Sermon on the Mount that's located in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and also in 7. 7 is where we're going to spend a majority of our time today. For those of you that might be new to this faith movement, this following Jesus idea, this thing that's labeled as Christianity within our culture, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's longest monologue in all of the Gospels. And really, it's one of the most powerful, and it is also one of the most epic messages in all of human history because it's somewhat of a kingdom manifesto. This is Jesus who will claim to be God in all four of the Gospels. He says, I am God, and what he's doing is he's unraveling and unpacking for you his intentions, his motives, and his views of what would, la of what would later be labeled in the book of Acts as Christianity. In other words, Jesus is unpacking what you and I, and the church for that matter, should look like if we're going to be uh, Christians, if we're going to follow after Jesus. So today, we bring this teaching series to a conclusion by focusing our attention on Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20. So we're going to read these verses of Scripture consecutively, but there is a rhythmic pattern here. Jesus is a master communicator, and what he's going to do for you is he's going to give you two big themes, and then he's going to give you two very powerful points that map and fit to these big teams, and he sews them all together. I'm telling you, Jesus is unbelievable. It's easy for me to get up here and just read his words because he preaches it for you. This is his sermon. So here are the two themes. In Matthew 7, verses 13 through 20, it's all about, number one, decisions. The first couple of verses that we'll read is all about decisions, and that is plural. At first, you're going to be like, no, it's decision. No, it's actually decisions. It's plural. And then secondly, he's going to talk about the importance and the power of having the ability to be able to discern. So decisions and discernment. So we're going to jump into the passage in verse 13, Matthew chapter 7. This is Jesus talking here, obviously. And he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few are going to find it. So here's the first thing. This is all about decisions consisting of how many gates? He says you have to make a decision, you have to enter through the narrow gate, and then he says there's one that's narrow, and then there's one that is wide. So he gives you two gates. One of these gates is going to lead towards life everlasting, and then the other one is going to lead towards eternal punishment, towards destruction. Then in verse 15, he says, watch out for false prophets. This is the discernment portion. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from bushes or figs from thistles? The obvious answer is no. Verse 17, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize 
them. He says that twice. It's important for us to understand that he's trying to give us uh, something that is very potent and applicable to us because he says you're going to be able to judge these people who are dressed as sheep but on the inside they're like wolves by their what? By their fruit. So here's the second theme. It's all about discernment consisting of how many trees? How many trees does he list? Two trees. There is a good fruit tree and then there is a bad fruit tree. So today, we are going to talk about uh, decisions followed by discernment. So one of the major pieces that we need to dissect before getting too deep would be some key words that Jesus uses. If we miss this, then we are going to miss everything. So it's paramount, it's mission critical for us inside of this room to understand a particular word that Jesus is using here. He is saying, enter into the narrow gate. The question is, is what is the gate? Like, where is this gate? And it's not really a what and where question, it's a who question, why? Because Jesus is the gate. Jesus is saying, after he preaches this unbelievable message, he says, all right, now that I'm done, I want you to enter through the gate, and he's referring to himself. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 7, he calls himself the gate. I am the gate. I am the way in. Keep in mind, he has just preached this, this very provocative, countercultural kingdom manifesto, and now he's giving direction. He's saying, do you want to know how to live out this life that you just heard about, that I just preached for you guys? You've heard it in several consecutive weeks in a row. How are you going to live it out? And he goes, hey, you're going to live it out by coming through me. You're going to live it out by coming to me. I am the gate. Let me explain it a little bit by using some terminology that some of the men in the room may understand. Are there any hunters in the room? You guys hunt stuff? All right, cool, awesome. There's some hunters inside of the room. Any bow hunters? Like you're a real hunter, like you shoot things with a bow and arrow, not just a gun, like yeah. So my dad was a man's man and he was a bow hunter. And for Christmas one year, his parents actually bought him a uh, bow and some arrows and a target to shoot the arrows at. And so, of course, Christmas morning, he was, man, just excited because he loved to shoot bows and arrows. And, and so he goes out there, and for a large percentage of Christmas Day, he's shooting these arrows at the target. He's getting better and better and better. He's hitting the bullseye some. He's at least hitting the target. It's a great day inside of the Stanley household uh, for my dad. But he grew bored of this, and my dad was a little bit mischievous. And what he noticed was he noticed that, that his parents were actually watching him shoot this bow and arrow through uh, the window that was there in the kitchen. And so he goes, hmm, I wonder, I wonder if I could uh, pull a trick on them. And so he starts shooting the arrows in, in the air. He shoots them way in the air, and then he watches them come down with velocity, and they, and they just go down into the dirt, uh, you know, a few feet from him. And so he keeps shooting them in the air, and he notices his parents looked away, and this is his opportunity to pull one off on them. He shoots it in the air, they look away, and he grabs another arrow out of his quiver, and he sticks it to the top of his head, and he begins to run around screaming violently, Oh, oh, oh! 
You know, and so what is his parents going to think when they see this, this young man that they just bought this bow and arrow running around with an arrow on the top of his head? He just shot himself in the head. So his mom faints, his dad runs outside as quickly as possible, and when his dad finally gets to him, my dad is laughing hysterically, and it didn't end well for my dad. The guy that I call Paul Paul Stanley, he put the belt of correction on the seat of understanding of my dad on that particular day. So obviously, the point of a bow and arrow in any scenario is to aim it at an intended target. It's not to scare your parents to death. The point of a bow and arrow is to pick a target, whether it be a standing still target or an animal, and you are supposed to shoot your intended target. That's the point of a bow and arrow. So Jesus is saying, ladies and gentlemen, as I close out this Sermon on the Mount, as I get to the end of this message that I've been preaching to you in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's important for you to know what to aim your life at. What are you supposed to be aiming your life at in order to live out this countercultural message? And it's Jesus. Jesus is the bullseye that we need to be aiming our life towards. The bullseye is Jesus. So Jesus is calling the people to a decision that will ultimately lead to a series of decisions. So there's this decision which is called the gospel, and there's many of us that have crossed the threshold of faith, and we've accepted Jesus as our savior, and we've experienced salvation and we're on the narrow path and we're radically living out this calling that God has called us to. But then there's a series of decisions that's going to follow that. So Matthew 7, 13 and 14 is all about decisions. In fact, Jesus says, here's the ultimate decision according to the gospel, is that you've got to enter in through to the Father by me. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, some have said that Jesus was giving an invitation because this is the ending of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is bringing it into a conclusion. And a lot of pastors, in fact, I have heard people get up on a platform and say, and Jesus is giving an invitation to come towards him. But it just doesn't map to the Greek language of that day. Jesus is actually not giving an invitation. The band didn't come out they're not playing softly behind Jesus as he invites people to come forward. No, that's not what's happening. He's actually giving a command. Jesus is saying, enter the narrow gate. And we know that he's referring to himself. He's commanding people to do it, which makes sense. Why? I've got four kids, and when they were small, we actually lived uh, at this house that had a ton of traffic in front of it. And if you weren't watching the kids like a hawk, I don't know what it is with kids, but they just love to play in the road. I don't know why. Like, they just love to run towards the road. They're dangerous, right? And so I would have to watch my kids with, with pinpoint accuracy to make sure that they were where they were supposed to be at all times. But there were the inevitable moments when I would look and one of them is running towards the road and there's traffic that's just going all down the road, both sides of the road. Do you think I invited them to come away from the road? Hey, uh, uh, little Johnny, little Susan, could you, could you come away from the road? Because you're gonna get hurt. 
right? I'm not using a soft voice. I'm elevating my voice, and I am commanding them in the name of Jesus, right, to come away from the road. Why? Because if they don't come away from the road, it is not going to end well. They are going to be destroyed. And Jesus is commanding us to enter into the narrow gate. The decision that Jesus wants us to make is a command. Why? Because it has eternal consequences. He's not suggesting it. He's not inviting you away from it. He's commanding you. That's because he loves you. That's because he has a strong desire to see you experience life and life to the fullest. He is commanding you. So in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, this is a command to live a what? I would call it a command to live a narrow life which starts with embracing the gospel and then the decisions are going to follow. So as I examine these couple of verses, the two primary observations that I want to highlight would be the narrow gate. And we know Jesus is the gate. But the gate is not just narrow. It's not like you walk through the gate and there's this big expansive field and all these activities and everything is just awesome and big and large. No, what does he also call narrow and small? The path. He says the gate is narrow and when you enter into the gate, the path is also very narrow. So Jesus is calling us, he's commanding us into a narrow way of life. So when we place our faith in Jesus, he opens the gate to the kingdom, and our entire life begins to become narrow. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm like claustrophobic. Like, it bothers me when I'm watching these people crawl through caves. Have you ever seen that? Like, they'll crawl through a cave, and I'm like, what is wrong with these individuals? So that's the mental picture that I get when I hear narrow, is I think, oh, claustrophobia, man. This does not sound very good. So what does Jesus mean when he says narrow life? Do I have any Patriot fans in the house? Not like the football team, the movie, The Patriot, which is very fitting. We're on the cusp of July 4th, and Patriot is one of those movies. I've watched it 8,793 times, but anytime I'm watching television and Patriot is on, I have to stop and watch it. It is an unbelievable movie. We know that Mel Gibson plays this guy named Benjamin Martin, who does not want to get involved in the Revolutionary War until one of his kids get murdered by this cruel British officer. He's forced to get involved at that point. And I don't know if you remember this part of the movie. All of the guys in the room are like, yeah, this is awesome. I don't know if you remember this, but they also set his house on fire. So he tells his kids to stay there in front of the house and he runs into this burning house and he goes to his bedroom and he starts, man, he starts getting the guns, right? He starts strapping up. He throws on the muskets. He throws these two little pistols that are also little miniature muskets. And there's this part of the movie, as the house is burning down around him, he reaches in and grabs out this hatchet. And he looks at the hatchet, and then he comes back outside, and he looks at his daughters, and he says, I want you to go to your aunt's house. And then he said, boys, come with me. And they take off running through the forest. So they're running, what are they running for? They wanna get ahead of this military siege that just killed his son and burned down his house so that they can get revenge. And I don't know if you know, but when they finally arrive at the place, there's a question that he asks his two sons. He says, what has dad always taught you about shooting? Aim small, miss small. 
is what they reply to. So in the world of marksmanship, this is a popular phrase, aim small, miss small. This means that if you just aim at a target, like if we had a target here, now if I just aim at a target, I'm going to probably miss the target. What he's trying to communicate is to aim small, so pick the smallest part of that target and aim at that. What is the smallest part of a target? It's a bullseye. He says, if you aim at the bullseye, then you may not hit the bullseye, but are you going to land on the target? Absolutely, you're probably going to hit the target if you aim at the smallest part. That's what it means when he says, aim small, miss small. Well, we know that Jesus is the bullseye for the Christian life. Additionally, Jesus begins to show us every bullseye for every area of our life. Because Jesus is not just a come to church on Sunday and we get our fix and we go back into this thing called life and we're disconnected from Christianity. No, it's a seven day a week, 24 hours, seven days, 365 affair. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to narrow your focus in every area of your life so that you can hit the bullseye. Here's some areas. Parenting. Parenting is hard, isn't it? Man, parenting is so hard, especially with technology. Like, I remember giving my son a phone, and I was so dumb when I gave myself, I, I gave my son a phone. I basically just gave it to him. I was like, here's a phone in case you need to call me. Well, little did I know that there was a lot of things that he was going to discover on that phone that were not going to be good for him. It was essentially like handing him a loaded gun and saying, hey, do your best not to shoot yourself with it. Parenting is hard, and Jesus will narrow the focus, and he'll teach you what it looks like to parent. The way that we spend our money. Jesus' goal is to move you from greed all the way to target generosity. He wants you to be a generous follower of Jesus Christ. The way that we spend our time. Time, man, man, we spend our time on all kinds of frivolous things. I'm, I'm certain that the next injury that is going to make all these surgeons millions is our thumb muscle because we use it to scroll like this, right? TikTok and all that good stuff. We're just scrolling, you know, just scrolling away, having a good time. And we're misusing our time. And Jesus is going, no, 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 I can show you how to use your time. I can give you a bullseye on what it looks like to use your time that's going to be beneficial to, to you. The way that we view sexual and I won't stay on that too long. I'm already making some people nervous. He's saying, I want you to narrow your focus. And I, I can give you the bullseye of every area of your life. So what is focus? Focus is directing our limited mental and physical resources toward the desired target. The narrow life is an intentionally focused life. It's not about rule following. It's not about restricting fun and adapting to rigorous regulations. Jesus is not the sin police. No, it's about designing our lives with focus so that we can get the most out of it, so that we can hit the target. Let me give you an example of this. Several years ago, I uh, noticed as I was getting out of the shower that I didn't look all that good. I was like, whew, man, this, that's rough. You know what I'm saying? Coupled with that, I had low energy. I was uh, getting up late. I was 
coming home and laying on the couch and watching television. I just, weren't, I, I just wasn't motivated. And I'm like, man, I've got I've to figure out how to, how to create a bullseye for myself so that I can get into better shape and so uh, that I can, I, I can have more energy so that I can uh, move out of this sluggish, sedentary uh, lifestyle. But I had some vices. Let me tell you what my vices were. It's ice cream. Man, I love ice cream. Don't you love ice cream? Nothing better on July 4th than homemade vanilla ice cream. Isn't that delicious? So good. I have this mistress. Her name is Little Debbie. You know her? Specifically, Nutty Bars. Oh, my goodness. That's my favorite Little Debbie. I love Swiss rolls, but by far, Nutty Bars are, are the best ones. And you can pull those things apart, and it's got peanut butter in it. Oh, it's so good. I love Reese's peanut butter cups, not just the regular Reese's peanut butter cups, the holiday, the seasonal Reese's peanut butter cups. Wave at me if you know what I'm talking about. The Christmas trees, the hearts, the Easter eggs, they just seem like they pack them with more peanut butter. It's just absolutely delicious. Those are my vices. But in order for me to hit the bullseye, what I had to do is I had to drastically reduce my sugar intake and I had to increase my physical fitness. How did you lose weight? I exercised more and I ate less, specifically sugar. And I don't have an issue with like bread. I can go for the rest of my life without eating bread. I cannot, however, go for the rest of my life without eating a piece of cake, without having some sugar. Now, do I hit the bullseye every single day? Absolutely not. Do I hit the target? most every day. Do I hit the target of, of what I'm trying to accomplish? Most of the time, and I'll go through weeks where I'm hitting the bullseye one day, one day, and then I have that glorious cheat day. You know what I'm talking about? I love me some cheat days. And then I go right back to, okay, here's the bullseye so that I can keep my life focused on what I need to accomplish. And that did not happen haphazardly. It took me focusing on the desired outcome, which gave me direction, which narrowed my focus, which made my life better, deeper, and richer. You see, the narrow life is supposed to make your life deeper and more meaningful and, and, and richer. That's the point of the narrow life. But we've got to decide our focus because deciding our focus decides our direction, and as our focus narrows, our lives become deep. Jesus wants to look at every area inside of our life, and he wants to give us direction and narrow our focus, not so that our lives can become bland and boring. Quite the contrary. My life is not bland and boring. It is deep. Why? Because I live a narrow life. You want to know what is bland and boring and what does not deliver on what it promises? It's just shooting the arrows in the air. Just shooting the arrows, and wherever they land, they land. And sometimes we, oh, I meant to do that, and we'll go paint a bullseye around that. I meant to hit it there. No, that, that, that's not what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus says in John 10, 10, that I came to give you life and give you life more abundantly. The enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came to help you, to enable you by the power of the Holy Spirit to live life to the fullest. Now listen to this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Because I know that you guys are thinking, okay, so I'm going to stop sinning 
whatever my pet sin is, I'm going to stop doing that, and I'm going to start hitting the bullseyes. It may not just be sin. Listen, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. I would underline those three words. Everything that hinders and the sin. And the sin. I'd underline and the sin. So everything that hinders, and then he says, and the sin So why? Why do we need to throw off everything that hinders and the sin so that we can run with perseverance the life that is marked out for us? Do you see what he did there? He disconnected the two. He distinguished that there are things that may not be sin that is hurting you, that is keeping you from hitting the mark. Sin, that's an easy one. You know that the word sin is actually an archery term? It actually means to miss the mark. Shooting the arrow wherever it lands, that's what sin is. But everything that hinders, no, that's not not necessarily sin. That's just potentially a good thing that you need to throw away based upon the life station that you're in in order to be a good husband, in order to be a good wife, in order to be a good parent, in order to be a good boss. The list goes on and on and on and on. So what are some of the good things? Well, it could be, I'm just going to throw some stuff out there. It could be golf. And for me, golf always leads to sin because I'm not a very good golfer. It could be golf. It could be hunting. Like, listen, if your kids are little and they can't go with you, there's going to be a point in time where your kids are going to be able to go hunting with you and you're going to enjoy it and it's going to be awesome. You're going to teach them just like Mel Gibson taught his kids, aim small, miss saw. It's going to be amazing. But right now, listen, mama needs help at home. You may not need to go hunting every Saturday and spend your life in a tree stand. Those deer, I promise you, we're not going to run out of deer. They're going to be there. Fishing might be one of those. The bass are still going to be there when you leave the life station that you're in. Is it okay to do those things occasionally? Yes, but it's not okay to be obsessive about them. So there's some good things. There's nothing wrong with those things, by the way. I hunt. I fish. I spent a week up in Canada, man, fishing for walleye, and it was awesome, man. My wife let me go, and it was incredible. That's the only week that I fished in that year. It's narrowing your life. You see, we have four kids, and I'm telling you, there are plenty of good things that I have had to give up in order to parent our kids effectively. I've had to say no to plenty of good things in order to drop my kids off at school every morning. There's things that would have advanced my career that I said no to because I want my kids to get out of the car, and I want the last words that they hear from their dad as they're getting out of the car and walking into school is, I love you. See, I don't get to do that if I pick other things and make them priority. I've had to stop doing lots of things in order to be a better husband. My wife and I, we love to travel. And when I say travel, I'm talking about alone, not with the children. That is not a vacation, ladies and gentlemen. That is called a trip. And we have fun on our trips. But I'm more tired when I come back from my trip than when I went on it. Those are trips. A vacation is like I did with my wife a couple of years ago. We went to London, and we ran around London like a couple of teenagers just laughing. Oh, we just loved it. It was awesome. It was amazing. 
But we can't travel all the time. Why? Because of the life station that we're in. I'm obsessive compulsive about our home being clean. I love a clean house. I love to come home and smell bleach. I know I'm weird, all right? I love every nook and cranny of our house to be just absolutely spotless. However, we have some of the most filthiest children to ever exist on planet Earth. They're nasty, okay? Man, there's stuff growing in their rooms, and we're not sure what it is. It could be toxic to their health. And so I've had to press pause because priorities is not having a spotless house. Now, occasionally, my wife will take the kids out of town, and I will just clean the house from top to bottom. I'll make it spotless, and I'll just sit on the couch and enjoy it for all of two hours. You know what I'm saying? But a clean house may not be the thing that is in your life station right now. Is your house filthy, Pastor Blake? No, it's clean-ish is what we say. It's clean-ish. I've had to let go of that. I've had to let go of several things. Once you determine the bullseye for every area of your life, which means I'm only saying yes to the following things, automatically means that I'm saying no to a list of other things, and those other things could be good things. It could be good things. So here's what I would do. This is kind of your assignment. Determine what is most important now. Is a clean house most important now? Is hunting most important now? Fishing most important now? Playing golf most important now? Writing that book most important now? Whatever it may be. And appropriately build the target, the direction of your life. Verse 13 and 14, Jesus is dealing with decisions. The next five verses of Scripture is he's going to be talking about discernment. And this is so important. And they're not disconnected, by the way. It's not like Jesus is, is shifting gears without a clutch and going, all right, we're going to go in this direction now. No, that's not what's happening. They're still tethered together really tightly. You have decision, you have decisions, and now you have discernment. It's important to know and be able to discern because if you're not careful, you're going to wind up on the wrong path and you won't even know how you got there. How in the world did I get there? I had a sleeping issue one time, and the doctor prescribed to me some Ambien. The doctor prescribed it. Okay, don't judge me. And I only took it for two weeks, didn't even take the whole bottle. But I was taking it, and he told me this. He's like, listen, bro. He's like, make sure you take one of these with one foot in the bed. He says, because you'll end up at Dunkin' Donuts, and you won't even know how you got there if you're not careful. And I was like, all right, advice, advice taken. And I got on the sleeping pattern, and, and then I was off, right? And that's what happens with us is that we'll end up on the wrong path and we're like, how did I get here? You wanna know why? Discernment. You weren't able to discern. So in the next several verses, Jesus gives us the tool of discernment to determine the difference between fake, artificial, counterfeit, and real, authentic, genuine Christianity. Discernment defined, is defined like this. The ability to perceive, understand, and judge things clearly especially those that are not obvious or straightforward. So we know that Jesus' name, and we know this, right? Can we just talk as family? I mean, we're friends now. I'm, I'm, I'm deep into the message. Jesus' name gets attached to ideas, issues, and movements for that which he would never endorse. You get that, right? But we'll slap the label of Christianity on the side of something. And we'll go, oh, Jesus said, and we'll cherry pick a verse of Scripture, and we'll totally warp it and pull it out of context 
And the next thing that we know, we're on the wrong path. This is what Jesus is trying to get at inside of these verses of Scripture. Jesus doesn't take this lightly either. Listen to what he says to the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 27, Jesus is a savage, by the way. Listen to what he says. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? That's an exclamation point. Like Jesus said that with some passion and authority. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And this is what's difficult. And, these, and this is why we got to dial our discernment in, is because if you look at the Pharisees, didn't it look like they were living the narrow life? They were rule followers, man. Regulation followers. They were always trying to figure out how they could get on the straight and narrow. The problem was is that, is that they had a bad motive. They had a motive that wasn't right. It wasn't pure. And there are things that happen inside of this movement that we're a part of called Christianity that is putting people on the wrong path. Have you ever been up late at night, you're watching television, and you come across a Christian television sta uh, uh, station, and it tells you that if you send them $39, they'll send you a handkerchief that was blessed in the Holy Land, and if you lay it over your ailment, your health ailment, then you're gonna be healed? Wrong path. It's sending you towards destruction. Or if you give $1,000, man, you're going to have a boat in the driveway and the biggest house ever, and the wife is going to like you, and the kids are going to be awesome. Everything is going to be great. Your kids aren't going to be nasty anymore if you give $1,000. I gave the $1,000. My kids are still nasty. There are all sorts of things that we will imprint Christianity on, and Jesus is going, hey, I'm not endorsing that. I'm over here, narrow gate. Here I am, that's not me. The enemy is, is wise to the point of attempting to design a facade to convince you that that is the way that you're supposed to go, and then when you get there, it's too late. That's why he says, sheep's clothing, but on the inside, it's a ferocious wolf. From a distance, it looks like, man, it looks legit. It looks legitimate. They're even using the name of Jesus. But not everything that calls himself a Christian, or a Christian church for that matter, it doesn't mean that they are. This is why Jesus ha has to dive headfirst. Th th this is why we have to dive headfirst into God's word and examine the life of Jesus to ensure that it's in alignment with Scripture because if we aren't careful, we may find ourselves lured towards the wrong path. And anything that doesn't reflect the life, the teachings, and the attitude of Jesus, it is a counterfeit gospel. Quickly, Jesus in verses 13 and 14 says, there's two paths. And then in the other five verses of Scripture, when he's dealing with discernment, he goes, and there's two trees. Well, guess what? Both of these trees bear fruit. But if I were to hold an artificial apple in my hand and a real apple in my hand, from your perspective, where you're sitting at right now, you would not be able to distinguish between the two. You would not be able to go, yep, that's an artificial apple right there in the left hand. Oh, actually, no, it's the other one, right? And Jesus is saying, hey, 
out in front of each path, there's two trees that are planted. The problem is, is that one of these trees is bearing good fruit, and the other tree is bearing bad fruit. Well, how do we discern the difference? The answer is, is that you have to get inside of this book. David says in Psalms 119, I hid God's word in my heart, why? So that I might not sin against him. You and I as followers of Christ, we have to know the Bible. Oh, that's the preacher's job. Oh, he, he went to school for that. He's supposed to be all up and up on hermeneutics and theology and all of that stuff. And, and that, that is correct. However, sometimes that is not the case. So really, both of us have a job today. My job was to come up here and preach a message to you. And your job is to figure out if what I'm saying is true. Don't take my word for it. Don't just take my word for it. I could be leading you down the wrong path. God's word is what we should examine. Every minute detail that comes out of someone's mouth is attaching the name of Jesus to something. So I used to pick watermelons in high school. That's what I did for a job. My uncle owned a, a watermelon farm, and I became an expert in determining the difference between a good and bad watermelon. There were obvious signs of a good watermelon. If it had a yellowish, creamy color on the field spot, which is where it would lay in the field, good watermelon. Oh, yeah. If it had a dull exterior, good watermelon. If it had stretch marks, hello, good watermelon. If they had all three of those things, fantastic watermelon. You could eat it, and it was going to be delicious. Why? Because you could look on the outside and tell if the content of the fruit was going to be good on the inside. And the only way for us to do that is God's word when it comes to examining whether someone is preaching the gospel or the truth or not. In closing, I want to give you a few practical ways to determine what path you're on. The band is going to come. I want you to go back and I want you to reread the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to look over the biblical content that has been presented from week to week from this platform, and I want you to ask the question, what areas of my life are not in alignment with this teaching series? Because that's an identifier. That's how we are supposed to be described. Are you able to be described in that way? The second thing is, is that do I understand the gospel? You would be surprised how many people do not understand the gospel. I just got through having this conversation with my nine-year-old child. I was like, you want to be baptized? Yes, I want to be baptized. And we sat down, and I wanted to make sure that he understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you understand the gospel? The most quintessential verse of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that unpacks the gospel. It says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering of sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ Jesus. The third thing, is there any evidence that, I'm, that I've responded to the gospel? In other words, if people accused you of being a Christian, what evidence would they use to convict you of being a Christian? Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. So whose fruit is it? It's the Spirit's fruit. It's not your fruit. It's the Spirit's fruit. 
He calls it a singular fruit, and then he begins to describe the attributes of this fruit. He says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Can your life be described by these attributes in the fruit of the Spirit? Furthermore, is there a desire to want to be kind? There's some people, all they want to be is mean. You know what I mean? Have you ever met that person before? Is there a desire? If there's a desire to love God and to love his word and to love the fruit of the Spirit and want to see it developed and cultivated inside of your life, then you have crossed the threshold of faith and there's evidence that the gospel has changed your life. Number four, answer the question, what area of my life, maybe it's not sinful, maybe it's the thing that's hindering you, do I need to refocus on the bullseye? What do I need to throw away? It's not sin, but it's going to make me a better fill in the blank. And then lastly, what do I need to eliminate in order to point all the areas of my life towards the desired outcome? I want to pray for you. I want to just ask that God would use you in a mighty way and that these five questions that are going to serve as filters is going to turn you into a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for every single person that's inside of this room. And we just ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would change our lives, that you would conform us into the image of your son. Because that's the desire, Romans 8 says, that your desire for us is for us to conform into the image of your son, which means to become similar or identical to and sometimes that looks like stumbling in the right direction. Sometimes that, that looks like walking in the right direction. Sometimes that looks like crawling in the right direction. But Lord, help us to move towards the narrow gate. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.